Well, here we are in the sixth and final week of our series. For six weeks now, we've been taking a look at various biblical threads or ideas that are woven throughout the entire arc of Scripture. But these threads are not just single strands floating independently throughout the Bible. They're part of a greater whole. These biblical threads are interwoven, and each of these ideas builds upon and interacts with each other across the entire biblical narrative. And all of these threads that we've talked about so far in this series, the tree of life, the sea, the sheep, the shepherds, blood, vineyards, all of these threads and so many more come together to create for us one unified masterpiece, a tapestry that depicts the story that leads us to Jesus, a tapestry. And I did some research on tapestry weaving when I was putting this message together. And by research, I mean I was deep down a rabbit hole. That happens to me a lot when I'm studying. And this rabbit hole went all the way down to Cusco, Peru, where a local textile artist by the name of Maximo Laura creates vibrant and textured, award-winning masterpieces out of wool and dye. If you look closely at his work, you'll see little flecks of color, almost like pixels that are woven tightly together to create a picture and tell a story. If I stand too closely, all I will see are the individual stitches. And I'll admire the details and the texture and the quality of the thread, the vibrancy of the dye and the little flecks of color, and it'll be interesting from that standpoint but I won't be able to fully interpret what the piece is actually depicting until I take a big step back and I see it as one whole unified piece. When I step back and see the threads come together as intended, as a unified element, then and only then can I see the big picture. Now I can see why the threads are so carefully and intentionally and strategically placed within the greater whole. When I step back, I can see that they were arranged on purpose to tell a story. So take this idea, this, this idea of the, the threads, and picture each of the biblical threads that we've talked about this far in the series. Picture these threads as each possessing their own color. Maybe green for the tree of life, dark blue for the sea, Crimson red for the biblical thread of blood. Hues of violet, ruby, and green for vineyards. Various shades of black, white, and brown for sheep. And so on. And now picture those threads, those biblical threads being interwoven and arranged in such a way that they build upon each other to form for us an elaborate tapestry, one unified story. Today, we take a big step back and hopefully we'll get a clearer picture and a deeper understanding of what these threads are all coming together to show us. But before we do that, before we take a big step back, Let's lean into the Holy Spirit and pray together this morning. Lord, you are here. 
You are here. Where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there among them. You are here with us this morning. So, Father God, even now, would you open our ears to have the ability to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. Hearts that will receive your word. May that seed go deep and sprout roots and bear fruit in our lives. Give us a mind to comprehend how these threads come together and what you're trying to show us through this whole series. Have your way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have one more thread to look at in this series. And today we're looking at the biblical thread of blessings and curses. And as it was with every other thread in this series, we're going to trace that thread all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, where we first see the word bless or blessed mentioned. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going all the way back. We're going to start at verse 20, and if you're using a house Bible, that's page 3. And while you're turning there, of course, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online. Some of you are on vacation right now. Some of you, uh, even since 9.15, have sent me pictures of where you are on vacation. Enjoy your boats. Glad that you're watching, but I'll see you when you get home. And to those of you in the room, I just want to thank you for being here. I say it every time. It is a deep joy and a privilege to get to worship together. Did you sense the spirit of the Lord as we lifted our voices together and the worship band led us in worship? Let me hear you. Did you sense the presence of God? It's because we're together. And when we're together, his presence is in our midst. And I want to personally thank you for being here because sometimes life is a drag. And for me, life has been particularly challenging lately. I've had some health issues and other unexpected hurdles come my way. But one thing has remained consistent. I get here on a Sunday morning and I'm surrounded by people I love. People I love. Thank you for showing up in my life. Thank you for showing up in each other's lives. It is good to be the church. Amen? Amen. All right, let's dive in. Everybody ready with Genesis chapter 1? Today we begin with the story of creation. We read in Genesis 1 verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there it is. The first time that we see the word blessed, it's being used in the context of a commissioning. God blessed the fish and the birds and charged them to go abound. Go abound, be fruitful, and multiply. That word abound just means to exist in large numbers. Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. He's saying, I've created this vastness, this space, and I want you to fill it. I bless you to go and spread life. Abound. And a few verses down in Genesis 1.26, we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, 
the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number. Abound. Fill the earth with life and govern that earth. Oversee God's good creation like divine managers. It was God's good intention to partner with us so that we could cultivate order within his created world. That was the blessing, that there would be order and life abundantly and enough resources to support this explosion of new life, enough food for every living thing. The blessing in Genesis 1 is a picture of global flourishing, life that spreads to everyone, and everything. Now, as I said before, these biblical threads that we've been talking about each week, they build upon each other. All these threads are, are interwoven, and we have to take a big step back if we want to see the picture in full. So right now, we're going to take a giant step back, a six-week step back to week one of this series when Barry taught us about the biblical thread of the tree of life in Genesis 2. So you can flip one chapter over to Genesis 2 if you're using the House Bible or follow along in the app. Genesis 2.9 says, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit, and in the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of the tree, every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The blessing has an antonym. You know, an antonym, an opposite word, like up and down, in and out, darkness and light, good and evil, blessing, and curse. Right there in the middle of the garden, mankind was faced with a choice to trust God's good intentions, to trust what he says is best, and to eat from the tree of life, or to decide for themselves what was best, to define on their own what was good and what was bad, to disobey God, and to eat from that forbidden tree. And we all know what happened one chapter over, in chapter 3, we read the story of the grand temptation. The temptation to make ourselves the gods of our own universe. And to defy God's order. The woman knows what God has warned. She even tells the serpent, yeah, we can eat of any tree in the garden, except for that one. God says if we eat from that one, we will die. And the deceiver responds in verse 4, you won't, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, 
knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. To me, this is the saddest story in all of Scripture, the moment when shame first entered our beautiful world, that first moment. I can only imagine what that must have felt like to experience the crushing feeling, the sinking feeling of shame for the very first time. It's such a sad picture. Only moments ago, Adam and Eve knew no shame between them, only goodness, only blessing, full freedom. But now, something between them had died. Their innocence had died. And now they were grasping for the first thing that would shield them from one another. There's a separation and a rift between man and woman. And it made me wonder, do you think they cried? It made me wonder, in addition to the onset of shame, was this the moment when sorrow and regret first entered our world? Did they weep as they frantically tried to cover themselves? Do you think they knew in that moment that things would never be the same between them? And what about God? That's when the fear set in. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. We see the immediate deterioration of our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. We're hiding from one another and we're hiding from God. The man tells God that he hid because he was afraid. Suddenly we have all these new words in our vocabulary like shame, fear, hiding, sorrow, regret, deceit. The woman says the serpent deceived her. It's as though the world had been turned upside down and order, God's order, it became disorder. And the blessing was eclipsed by the onset of the curse that had just entered the world through sin. Curse is decreation, creation devolving to a state of disorder, handing people over to the consequences of their choices, which leads to death. Curse is decreation. It's the antonym of creation. Curse is the opposite of blessing. God uses the Hebrew word for cursed two times in chapter 3. First, the serpent is cursed in verse 14. And then the ground is cursed in verse 17. But notice God does not curse the man or the woman. What he does is describe how that curse, the curse on the serpent and the curse on the land, he describes how that curse is going to affect them now. This is the sad new reality that they just brought upon the earth by disobeying God. God is essentially saying, this is how it is now. 
This is what I meant when I told you if you eat from that tree, you will die. The curse is the inverse of blessing. If the blessing was all about spreading life, the curse meant that death would now spread. The curse in Genesis 3 is not a retaliatory punishment from God. It's a description of our dark new reality. When mankind, when we choose to reject God's blessing, when we choose to reject his generous invitation to abundance and life, what we're doing is automatically choosing death. Curse is decreation. It's the inverse of blessing. Whereas the blessing was an invitation to partner with God and work together to spread his life throughout the earth, the curse resulted in a broken partnership with God and exile from his abiding presence in the garden. But God never gives up on this idea of partnering with humans to spread his blessing. We can follow the thread all the way to Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham again to partner with him to fill the earth with blessing and life. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Blessings and curses. God's plan has always been to partner with human beings in order to fill the earth with his abundant life and blessing. Yes, sin may have unlocked the curse and ushered us all into a new dark reality, but God's desire to use people to spread his blessing throughout the earth, that desire has not changed. He partnered with Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Go ahead and turn over a couple of books to Deuteronomy chapter 30, page 173 if you're using a house Bible. And here, just like in the Garden of Eden, God's people are given a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Just as it was in the Garden, the children of Israel are told that if they obey, they will enjoy a life of blessing. And if they disobey, they will suffer the natural consequences of the curse. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 27. There's a long list of various acts of disobedience that will result in the curse spreading. Everything from worshiping false idols to deceiving one another to acts of injustice toward one another and the earth to stealing, to sexual sin, to murder. It's just like God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat from that tree. Don't touch that stuff. That's bad fruit. Voluntarily disobeying God's law will turn the world upside down and give way to more death and disorder. But there's a very simple way to make sure that that curse doesn't spread. Just one word. Obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is nearing the end of his life and he's essentially giving his, his dying declaration. And you can hear the passion in his voice 
when he pleads with his people in verse 11 of chapter 30, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you are about to enter and occupy. He's saying God's commands are not too difficult for you. This isn't beyond your reach. You can choose to obey. You can choose life and choose to be blessed. Again, we see that thread from Genesis. Remember the blessing that God gave man and woman in that very first chapter of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Well, here in Deuteronomy, we're told that if we obey, we will live and multiply. And remember the curse from Genesis, how God had cursed the land. Well, here, the land gets included in the promised blessing. The Lord your God will bless you and the land that you're about to enter. God is once again inviting his people to a life of blessing and abundance, and all they have to do is obey. Verse 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But just as it was in the Garden of Eden, when faced with the choice of blessing or the curse, the people of Israel were constantly being led astray again and again. Instead of choosing life and abundance, we see them choosing death and perpetuating disorder, perpetuating the curse. The temptation to reach for that forbidden fruit, however it presented itself, whatever it was, that temptation was just too great. James 1, verse 14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation draws our hearts away from God's good intentions for our lives. When we act on our own sinful desires, we move away from blessing and we bring upon ourselves the natural consequence of sin. We bring upon ourselves the curse and that curse spreads to the world around us. This thread of blessings and curses, it's inextricably interwoven with the other threads that we've discussed earlier in this series. For instance, in week four, Tim spoke to us about the biblical thread of blood. And our take-home passage from week four, our homework, was Hebrews 9. 
Now follow this thread. It says in Hebrews 9.15, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. What was the penalty of the sins they committed under the first covenant? The penalty was the curse. So Christ died to set us free from the curse, from the penalty of sin. Freedom from sin means no more separation from God, no more broken partnership, no more spreading death and disorder. We're invited back to a life of blessing, but only through Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Pastor Tim Ayers said it so eloquently a few weeks ago that Jesus died shedding his blood so that we can know the freedom and grace and power of an unfettered relationship with his heavenly father. An unfettered relationship with God. No more shame. No more hiding. No more fear. No more separation. We can walk with God just as it was in the garden. It's as though the curse has been so thoroughly annihilated, we could go back to that moment in the garden and hear the footsteps of our Father approaching, and we don't have to hide. We can walk towards Him. We don't have to hide from Him. No shame any longer. We're invited back to an unfettered relationship with our God. Romans 8 makes it clear. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Jumping down to verse 6, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. We're zooming way out here. We're taking a giant step back, and we're seeing all these biblical threads come together. Christ's blood has set us free from the curse, and now we're invited back to a life of abundance and blessing. We have the Spirit of God living within us. In the garden, God lived with man. But now, because of Jesus, God lives within man, mankind, giving us the power from the inside out to do what pleases him, giving us the power to obey, to resist sin and temptation, making us alive by his indwelling spirit. Barry said in week one that the cross, the tree of death, became a tree of life for all mankind. Jesus himself told us that he came that we may have life, and not just a bare bones, subsistence, survival kind of life. He said that he came to give us life. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more Abundantly, 
He's invited each one of us back to a life of abundance. Ephesians 2.18 says, Now all of us have access to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. With Christ's Spirit now living within us, we have access once again to the Father and we can enter the garden of his presence again where he is the good shepherd and he lovingly cares for us, his sheep, where he is Lord and he rules over the wind and the waves, the sea, over the chaos and the disorder in our lives, he is Lord, where he is once and for all Lord over everything, inviting us back to a life of blessing. Once again saying, be fruitful, abound, because in the garden of his presence, he is the vine and we are the branches. His very lifeblood flows through our veins and produces good fruit, with which we are to bless the nations. We can once again be fruitful and multiply and cultivate the fruits of his spirit, filling the earth with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faith and self-control. We can spread life when we take a huge step back and we see all the threads woven together, what we are beholding is a picture of his faithfulness. He's never given up on his creation and he never will. I encourage you to read about that in this week's take home passage, this week's homework, last bit of homework for the summer, Ezekiel 34 verses 25 to 28, just four verses. But in those four verses, look for the blessing. Where do you see this idea of abundance? And where do you see the curse show up in this passage? It's all right there. So go home and read it for yourself. Ezekiel 34, 25 to 28. I'll leave you with this. Early on as a young adult, I used to wonder, am I under some kind of curse? I'm serious, I used to wonder this because I was hearing all sorts of things about generational curses and things like that. How many of you know that sin patterns or certain patterns of behavior can often thread themselves through families, entire lineages down through the generations? I know that some of you know what I'm talking about. And my family on all sides had some sin patterns running through it. It's like my ancestors kept repeating the same mistakes over and over again, down through the generations. You know that old saying, history repeats itself. So anyway, in my late teens and in my early 20s, I felt like something was chasing me down, some kind of generational curse that maybe I was powerless to even break free from because my grandmother lived fast and wild, and while she was out there doing what was right in her own eyes, she found herself pregnant and alone in the 1940s. Like her, in the same way, my mother lived fast and wild, and in the midst of her rebellion, she also found herself alone and pregnant with me in the 1980s, and I wondered, is this cycle doomed to continue with me? 
My family history also has a, a history of substance abuse. It's riddled with substance abuse. And the waves of devastation that come from eating that poison fruit, was that curse going to fall on me? I can honestly say that this is something that caused me great anxiety in my early adult years. Until this biblical thread of blessings and curses was woven right through my heart. The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One quiet day, I'd say it was in the cool of the evening, the Spirit of God came looking for me. Out of nowhere, the phrase, cursed is he who hangs on a tree, popped into my head. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And I knew enough to know that that sounded like scripture, so I went, found a concordance. Didn't have a, didn't have a smartphone back then. Use your smartphones. But I looked it up, and it led me to Galatians 3. I was following a thread. I wanted to see where it would lead, and it led to Galatians 3.13. And in the translation I was reading at the time, the New King James, it put it this way. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In this revelatory moment, I understood two things. The curse that I had been running from was real. The curse is real. But I had already been set free. That was a freeing moment for me. I was already home before I started because my Jesus became that curse for me when he hung on the cross. He became that very curse and he did it to rescue me from it. And because of his finished work on the cross, I no longer have to live in fear. That thing that I felt was pursuing me and chasing me down, that thing was just an empty hologram. It had no power over me. No power. There was nothing to it because Christ became that curse for me. Then he hung that curse on the cross and he put it to death with his very life. He put that curse to death. I am now crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has raised me from the dead. We are no longer under the curse. His death has brought us life and freedom, and in him we have joy in abundance and victory. And as long as we remain in him, as long as we continually choose life and not death, as long as we continue to obey his word above all else, his blessings will continue to flow through us and out from us and spread life to our families, our community, and our world. How do I know this? Because I've seen how the threads come together. Hallelujah. I've taken a giant step back, and now I can see clearly the big picture, the beautiful masterpiece, the divine tapestry. When we take a huge step back and we see all the biblical threads woven together, what we are collectively beholding is a picture of his faithfulness. 
I see it now. I am a witness. I've witnessed his faithfulness over and over again. To my grandma and my mother, despite their disobedience, God brought mercy. He restored their peace. He restored order to their disordered lives. He healed them both. And I was able to witness them live out the rest of their days in abundance and in victory, multiplying the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And that fruit spread to everyone around them, including me. I witnessed it. And to me, a fatherless child with a dismal future, he brought hope and he invited me to a life of abundance. And I'm living in that abundance right now. He became father to me. He is father to me. And my fiercely loving and protective father did everything in his power to rescue me from that curse when he hung it on the cross with his own life, putting it to death once and for all, bringing me freedom and liberty. I live in victory now. I've witnessed it. I'm asking you, have you witnessed it? Oh, that you would choose life. Oh, that you would choose life. Have you witnessed his goodness? Has he called you his own? I want you to talk to me. Have you witnessed his goodness? Has he called you his own? The curse is broken for me and the curse is broken for you. His mercy abounds. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. You gotta go tell somebody. If you're not telling somebody, you're doing it wrong. Bear witness, bear witness. What has he brought you through? Oh God, you put to death the curse and you've invited us back to the promise of abundance and life. May we spread that life. There are somebody here that feels like a curse is chasing them down. But let them know even now, God, that you put that curse on the cross and you put it to death for them once and for all and bought their freedom. That's why you're good. That's why we share the gospel, because it's good news. We gotta go tell somebody. We gotta go tell somebody you're good and your mercy endures forever. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.